0: Hello, fellow saints, and welcome back to Come Follow Me with Brother T. We are covering Mormon chapters 7 through 9. And what would you say if the people of your civilization were on the brink of destruction by the hands of your enemies? And you are given a chance to write something to their ancestors, something that you knew that they would eventually read. Mormon has watched his people become more and more wicked and ripen and rot to the point of complete annihilation. He saw hundreds of thousands of the soldiers he was leading get hewn down. He was wounded and passed over as dead himself. He knows he's going to die, but also knows that his son Moroni will take care of the records that he has so carefully abridged. These are the last words of the prophet, historian, and army commander in chapter 7. In verse 1, it says that he chooses to speak to the descendants of his enemy, or the modern-day Lamanites. He calls them the remnant of the people who are spared, or the remnant of the house of Israel. We find the phrase remnant of the what children of Israel, seed of Joseph, etc., etc., throughout the scriptures. and I think it's used specifically, but it also has a lot of metaphorical value to the torn coat of many colors that Joseph wore. In fact, Hugh Nibley had some pretty fascinating ideas about such a remnant. And I won't go into it on this podcast, but you're welcome to go down that rabbit hole on your own. President Nelson, speaking of Joseph Smith, said, He and the ancient Joseph had much in common, as shown by other scriptures that I will cite. From the Book of Mormon we read, A part of the remnant of the coat of Joseph was preserved and had not decayed. Even as this remnant of garment hath been preserved, so shall a remnant of Joseph's seed be preserved by the hand of God. We are remnants of that precious seed. Great words, very interesting words by President Nelson. Remember, we are talking about modern day Native Americans, as well as those who either through birth or through adoption are in the house of Ephraim. And what did he want them to know? Elder Holland sums it up like this. In a soliloquy of death, Mormon reached across time and space to all, especially to that remnant of the house of Israel, who would one day read his majestic record. Those of another time and place must learn what those lying before him had forgotten, that all must believe in Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God, that following his crucifixion in Jerusalem he had by the power of the Father risen again, whereby he hath gained the victory over the grave, and also in him is the sting of death swallowed up. To believe in Christ, especially when measured against such tragic but avoidable consequences, was Mormon's last plea and his only hope. It is the ultimate purpose of the entire book that would come to the latter-day world bearing his name. Verse 2 reminds us that we are the descendants of Israel, that the Lamanites are the descendants of Israel. In verse 3, it talks about how all must repent. Verse 4, cease contentions and wars and verse 5, I love how it says here, Know ye that ye must come to the knowledge of your fathers and repent of all of your sins and iniquities and believe in Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he was slain by the Jews, and by the power of the Father he hath risen again, whereby he hath gained the victory over the grave, and also in him is the sting of death swallowed up. Just as Elder Holland quoted, First, know your ancestors. Second, know that Christ is our Savior. Verses 6 and 7, he talks about Christ's mission. It reads, And he bringeth to pass the resurrection of the dead, whereby man must be raised to stand before his judgment seat. And he hath brought to pass the redemption of the world, whereby he that is found guiltless before him at the judgment day hath it given unto him to dwell in the presence of God in his kingdom, to sing ceaseless praises with the choirs above, unto the Father, and unto the Son, and unto the Holy Ghost, which are one God in a state of happiness, which hath no end. Verse 8 reads, Therefore repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus, and lay hold upon the gospel of Christ, which shall be sent before you, not only in this record, but also in the record which shall come unto the Gentiles from the Jews, which record shall come from the Gentiles unto you. So we're talking about the Book of Mormon, but we're also talking about the Bible, the book that comes from the Jews. Verse 9 says, For behold, this is written for the intent, that ye may believe that, And if ye believe that, ye will also believe this also. And if ye believe this, ye will know concerning your fathers, and also the marvelous works which were wrought by the power of God among them. Brigham Young said, No man can say that this book, laying his hand on the Bible, is true, is the word of the Lord, is the way, is the guide board in path, and a charter by which we may learn the will of God, and at the same time say that the Book of Mormon is untrue. If he has had the privilege of reading it or of hearing it read and learning its doctrines, there is not that person on the face of the earth who has had the privilege of learning the gospel of Jesus Christ from these two books who can say that one is true and the other is false. President Benson also said, I love the Bible, both the Old and the New Testaments. It is a source of great truth. That sacred and holy book has been an inestimable worth to the children of men. In fact, it was a passage from the Bible that inspired the prophet Joseph Smith to go to a grove of trees near his home and kneel in prayer. What followed was the glorious vision that commenced the restoration of the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the earth. That vision also began the process of bringing forth new scripture, the Book of Mormon, to stand shoulder to shoulder with the Bible and bearing witness to a wicked world that Jesus is the Christ and that God lives and loves his children and is still intimately involved in their salvation and exaltation. Finally, in verse 10, he wraps up what he needs to say. And ye will also know that ye are a remnant of the seed of Jacob. Therefore ye are numbered among the people of the first covenant. And if it so be that ye believe in Christ and are baptized first with water, then with fire and with the Holy Ghost, following the example of our Savior according to that which he hath commanded us. It shall be well with you in the day of judgment. Amen. And now we move into chapter 8. L. Tom Perry said, Imagine we are standing in the place where Moroni, the last of the great Nephite prophets, stood. The assignment his father gave him to complete the record which was entrusted to his care was very difficult. He must have been in a state of shock as he described the total destruction of his people. He must have felt compelled to describe how his people had been hunted by the Lamanites until they were all destroyed. In his feeling of loneliness, he reports that his father was among those who were killed. We sense that the only thing Moroni is living for is to complete the record. As he writes, Therefore I will write and hide up the records in the earth, and whither I go it mattereth not. All he has is the faith that the Lord will preserve him long enough to complete the record and that someday it will be found by one chosen of the Lord. He realizes that the record will be a voice of warning to future generations of what occurs when nations like his own turn away from the teachings of the Lord. It is from the depths of his heart that Moroni cries out to those who will eventually receive the record. He wants to spare those who read his account the heartache and misery which come from disobedience. He writes first to the members of the church and then to those who have not embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. Moroni's last words to the members of the church are written as a voice of warning. He writes as one who sees the history of his people repeating itself in the future. Moroni lived about 400 years since the Lord visited the Nephites on the American continent. And in verses 7 through 9, it talks about how the whole land is in war and wickedness and is filled with Lamanites and robbers. Verses 12, 7, and 20, caution against judging the imperfections of the record because they were written by men. And I think it's always a good policy for us to remember that prophets, though holy, are still mortal and fallible, and they do sin, and they do make mistakes. And that if we want to be forgiven of our mistakes, we need to give them that same grace and that same opportunity to make mistakes and then repent of those mistakes. That is how the atonement of Jesus Christ works. And what happens more often than not is because we judge these people so harshly because of mistakes Or other imperfections, we tend to throw the baby out with the bathwater. The gospel is true. Christ was the only perfect person who walked the face of the land. And his church is the only true church upon the face of the earth. Furthermore, the Book of Mormon, though it did have mistakes a little bit in terms of grammatical errors that needed to be changed here and there and some punctuation, things like that, the translation was as good as it could possibly be. And it was written by men and abridged by a man. Remember that and keep that in mind. In verses 14 through 16, Moroni says that the plates are of great worth temporally, but more so spiritually, and that they will be brought out of darkness unto light, according to the word of God, and that it will shine forth out of darkness and come unto the knowledge of the people. And President Packer spoke of the role that Joseph Smith played in bringing forth the Book of Mormon. He said the truth is simply that he was a prophet of God, nothing more and not one whit less. The scriptures did not come so much from Joseph Smith as they did through him. He was a conduit through which the revelations were given. The prophet Joseph Smith was an unschooled farm boy. To read some of his early letters in the original shows him to be somewhat unpolished in spelling and grammar and in expression. That the revelations came through him in any form of literary refinement is nothing short of a miracle. Verses 21 through 25 talk about how others will not prevail against Israel. This is a great time to point out that President Nelson does want us to write down the things that the Lord does for the house of Israel. This is a great little section of some things where he does for the house of Israel. In verse 26, Moroni reminds us that miracles are not done away. And we'll get into more of that later on in the podcast. In verse 27, and through the rest of this chapter, Moroni talks about when the Book of Mormon will come about, when it will be brought to the world. In verse 27, he talks about how it will shine when the secret combinations cause so much strife among the people. Verse 28, when churches are defiled and pride is rampant. 29, he talks about destructions, and 30, about wars, and 31, about pollutions, murders, robbings, etc. And speaking of pollutions, Elder Joe J. Christensen suggested that the great pollutants spoken of were not environmental, but primarily spiritual. He said, we all hear and read a great deal these days about our polluted physical environment, acid rain, smog, toxic waste. But there is another kind of pollution that is much more dangerous the moral, and spiritual. In a recent conference, Elder Boyd K. Packer said, As we test the moral environment, we might find the pollution indexes spiraling upward. The Apostle Paul foresaw that in the last days perilous times shall come. And speaking of the last days, the prophet Mormon declared, Yea, it shall come in a day when there shall be great pollutions upon the face of the earth. Sadly, the effects of this great pollution are perhaps most evident in the mass media, films, television, and popular music. Of this, Senator Robert D. Byrd said, If we in this nation continue to sow the images of murder, violence, drug abuse, perversion, and pornography before the eyes of millions of children, year after year and day after day, we should not be surprised if the foundations of our society rot away as if from leprosy. In most areas of the mass media, there seems to be a declaration of war against almost everything the majority treasures most, the family, religion, and patriotism. Marriage is degraded while premarital and extramarital relations are encouraged and glamorized. Profanity and the foulest of vulgar gutter language bombard the ears of all who listen. Human life itself is trivialized, by the constant barrage of violence and killings. And that quote, with a lot of quotes from other people, was given in 1993. Look how much worse the world has become in terms of these spiritual pollutions. In verse 32, Moroni talks about how the Book of Mormon will come about when there's priestcrafts. In 34, Moroni obviously saw our time and knew the Book of Mormon would bring down the fallacies of men. President Benson said we must make the Book of Mormon a center of focus of study because it was written for our day. The Nephites never had the book. Neither did the Lamanites of ancient times. It was meant for us. Mormon wrote near the end of the Nephite civilization. Under the inspiration of God, who sees all things from the beginning, he abridged centuries of records, choosing the stories, speeches, and events that would be most helpful to us. Each of the major writers of the Book of Mormon testified that he wrote for future generations. Mormon himself said, Yea, I speak unto you, ye remnant of the house of Israel. And Moroni, the last of the inspired writers, actually saw our day and time. Mormon abridging the plates, If they saw our day and chose those things which would be of greatest worth to us, is not that how we should study the Book of Mormon? We should constantly ask ourselves, Why did the Lord inspire Mormon, or Moroni, or Alma, to include that in his record? What lesson can I learn from that to help me live in this day and age? And there is example after example of how that question will be answered. The rest of this chapter calls the wicked to repentance. He talks about in 37 how the wicked love their money more than they love people. Verse 38, he talks about how They seek for the praise of the world. And finally, in verses 39 and 40, it talks about how we need to take care of the poor as well as our own families. And now we move into chapter 9. And here Moroni is speaking specifically to those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. In verse 2, he talks about how the earth will be eventually baptized by fire and the wicked will be destroyed in the process. And in verse 3, he talks about how we will not be able to deny the truth or that Jesus Christ is our Savior. Verses 4 through 5 talk about how if we do not repent, we won't be comfortable being in the presence of God. It says, Behold, I say unto you, you would be more miserable to dwell with a holy and just God under a consciousness of your filthiness before him than you would to dwell with the damned souls in hell. For behold, when ye shall be brought to see your nakedness before God and also the glory of God and the holiness of Jesus Christ, it will kindle a flame of unquenchable fire upon you. President Joseph Fielding Smith explained why the unrepentant will be miserable in the presence of Jesus Christ. He said, There can be no salvation without repentance. A man cannot enter into the kingdom of God in his sins. It would be a very inconsistent thing for a man to come into the presence of the Father and to dwell in God's presence in his sins. I think there are a great many people upon the earth, many of them perhaps in the church, at least some in the church, who have an idea that they can go through this life doing as they please, violating the commandments of the Lord, and yet eventually they are going to come into his presence. They think they are going to repent, perhaps in the spirit world. They ought to read these words of Moroni. Do ye suppose that ye shall dwell with him, Christ, under a consciousness of your own guilt? Do ye suppose that you could be happy to dwell with that holy being when your souls are racked with a consciousness of guilt that ye have ever abused his laws? Verse 6 gives us the remedy. O then ye unbelieving, turn ye unto the Lord. Cry mightily unto the Father in the name of Jesus, that perhaps ye may be found spotless, pure, fair, and white, having been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb at that great and last day. President Kimball said, as repentance gets underway, there must be a deep consciousness of guilt. And in that consciousness of guilt may come suffering to the mind, the spirit, and sometimes even to the body. In order to live with themselves, people who transgress must follow one or the other of two alternatives. The one is to sear their conscience or dull their sensitivity with mental tranquilizers so that their transgression may be continued. Those who choose this alternative eventually become calloused and lose their desire to repent. The other alternative is to permit remorse to lead one to total sorrow, then to repentance, and finally on to eventual forgiveness. Remember this, that forgiveness can never come without repentance, and repentance Can never come until one has bared his soul and admitted his actions without excuses or rationalizations. He must admit to himself that he has sinned without the slightest minimalization of the offense or rationalization of its seriousness, or without self peddling its gravity. He must admit that his sin is as big as it really is and not call a pound an ounce. Those persons who choose to meet the issue and transform their lives may find repentance the harder road at first, but they will find it the infinitely more desirable path as they taste of its fruits. Verse 7 says, And again I speak unto you who deny the revelations of God, and say that they are done away, that there are no revelations, nor prophecies, nor gifts, nor healing, nor speaking with tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. Behold, I say unto you, He that denieth these things knoweth not the gospel of Christ. Yea, he hath not read the scriptures. If so, he does not understand them. Elder Oaks said, What makes Latter-day Saints different from most other Christians in the way we read and use the Bible and other scriptures is our belief in continuing revelation. For us, the scriptures are not the ultimate source of knowledge, but what precedes the ultimate source. The ultimate knowledge comes by revelation. With Moroni we affirm that he who denieth revelation knoweth not the gospel of Christ. The word of the Lord in the scriptures is like a lamp to guide our feet, and revelation is like a mighty force that increases the lamp's illumination manyfold. We encourage everyone to make careful study of the scriptures and of the prophetic teachings concerning them, and to prayerfully seek personal revelation to know their meaning for themselves. Verse 11 says, Behold, I will show unto you a God of miracles, even the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And it is that same God who created the heavens and the earth and all things that in them are. Again, President Oak says, The Book of Mormon teaches that God has provided a means that man through faith might work mighty miracles. The means provided is priesthood power. And that power works miracles through faith. Verse 13 gives a beautiful description of the resurrection. And 14 talks about how when we are judged, the filthy will be filthy still and the happy will be raised to happiness. Verses 15 through 20 talk more about miracles. And Bruce R. McConkie said, Why do signs and miracles cease in certain ages? Why are they not found at all times and among all peoples? Were those of old entitled to greater blessings than those of us who now dwell on the same earth that once was theirs? Moroni answers, The reason why a God of gifts and miracles ceaseth to do miracles among the children of men, and to pour out his gifts among them, is because that they dwindle in unbelief, and depart from the right way, and know not the God in whom they should trust. They worship false gods whom they define in their creeds, And they no longer walk in the same paths pursued by the saints of former days. It is men who have changed, not God. He is the same everlastingly. All men who have the same faith and live the same law will reap the same blessings. Verse 31 again, don't judge the imperfections of the writing or of men. In verses 32 through 34, he talks about the reformed Egyptian and the Hebrew. And Moroni stated that he had the ability to write in at least two languages, Hebrew and Egyptian. And he noted that the plates had been sufficiently large he would have written in Hebrew. But those who kept the records from the beginning wrote in Reformed Egyptian due to the lack of space. Both Nephi and King Benjamin talk about how they write in Egyptian. And we know that when Martin Harris took the copies of the characters of the Book of Mormon to Professor Anton. He was a professor of ancient languages focusing in on Egyptian, and he said that there was a correct translation. So, we know that it was in Reformed Egyptian. But at the same time, Moroni makes it clear that their language was passed on through the Father that had been changed, and that none other people knoweth our language but that God had prepared a means for the eventual interpretation and translation of the record, which, of course, we know he did through Joseph Smith and the Urim and Thummim and the seer stone, etc. Finally, in verses 35 through 37, he reiterates what his father wants us to know. And these things are written that we may rid our garments of the blood of our brethren who have dwindled in unbelief. And behold, these things which we have desired concerning our brethren, yea, Even their restoration to the knowledge of Christ are according to the prayers of all the saints who have dwelt in the land. And may the Lord Jesus Christ grant that their prayers may be answered according to their faith. And may God the Father remember the covenant which he hath made with the house of Israel. And may he bless them forever through faith on the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And I will add my prayer and testimony to Moroni's that the Book of Mormon was written to us today to use as a tool to help draw us closer to Christ and to help others draw closer to Christ, that we may know our imperfections, repent, and become saints clean in the blood of Christ. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, Please feel free to reach me at drjaredthomas at gmail.com or send me a text at 916-412-2136. Thank you and have a blessed day.